Good morning. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and meditation of each heart be acceptable in your sight. Lord, you are our strength, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. As I toured Auschwitz several years ago with Eva Kaur, who was a Holocaust survivor, I've shared some of my stories about her with you before. But one of the questions that I asked myself as I walked through the camp with her over and over again was, how could someone find hope here in this place? With so much suffering, destruction, and death, where could hope be found? According to Eva Kaur, hope is found within each one of us. As a twin who was a victim of the experiments done by Dr. Mengele, known as the Angel of Death, Eva found herself near death after receiving a mysterious injection. She overheard that she only had two weeks to live. And in that moment, she made a pledge to herself that she would hold on to the hope that she would survive and be reunited with her twin sister. If Eva had died, her sister, Miriam, would have been killed as well. Near the two-week period, Eva was very weak, but she held on to hope and the will to live. Hope is what helped her survive and be reunited with Miriam. Eva and Miriam were liberated from Auschwitz on January 27, 1945. They had suffered immense pain, trauma, and the loss of their family. But even then, they held on to the hope of new life outside of Auschwitz. Even then, hope remained. After walking the grounds of Auschwitz with Eva and hearing her stories, I realized just how vital hope is in all of life's circumstances. I was amazed at her courage to hope. Sometimes having hope is hard. Having hope is courageous. But I learned that without hope, we have nothing. Maya Angelou once said, hope and fear cannot occupy the same space. Invite one to stay. So today I challenge you to invite not fear, but hope to stay. For the disciples of Jesus following his brutal death on the cross, little hope remained. They were about to invite fear to stay as they locked themselves away from the world. But upon hearing the news about the women, or from the women, about the possibility of Jesus being raised from the dead, an ounce of hope sprung them back to life, even as some doubted. Matthew's account of the resurrection tells us that the women left the tomb with fear and great joy. Even though we don't know the outcome of life circumstances, even though we may have fear, we, like these women, must create room for both fear and joy. And of course, to carve out space for hope. Sometimes hope is found in the very basic parts of our lives. I have a friend who was deployed in the army in Iraq and Afghanistan for long periods of time. I asked him where he found hope in the midst of those very difficult days. The answer was simply this, getting through another day, surviving, knowing that they were one day closer to the end of their time there. I think it's say, safe to say that at different times in our lives, we may look back and say that hope was to be found 
and simply getting through another day. And that is enough. But the hope that Jesus gives us through his resurrection is meant to be so much more than that. In John's gospel, Jesus tells his followers that he came so that we may have life and have it abundantly. This means that we are free to hope in all times and places, no matter what life throws our way. This means that we as individuals not only possess this kind of hope, but that hope becomes a communal state of being, and we can hope on behalf of others. In the summer of 2018, you probably remember how the world watched as 12 members of a football team in Thailand were stranded in a cave for just over two weeks. Remember this? We all watched that unfold. Every day we received reports, first about them going missing, and then all about the rescue mission to get the team out of the cave with rising floodwaters and dangerous conditions. After a tedious and miraculous rescue attempt, all 12 boys and their coach made it out of the cave alive. The leader of the Thai Navy SEALs gave an interview and he shared about what made the rescue mission possible. In the interview, he says, we've had a little bit of hope that they might still be alive, but we just had to move forward. There was only a tiny bit of hope, but that's all we had to work with. And in the end, that tiny bit of hope became a reality. In this case, hope and sacrifice and courage saved the lives of the entire team in one of the most miraculous rescue missions that we may see in our lifetime. All because a group of people chose hope over despair and the possibility of life over death. We are at an interesting crossroads at this time in our lives and in the life here at Noblesville First. We're coming out of a pandemic, yet we're not quite completely free of it. Many of us are easing our way back into the world and back into activities that we used to enjoy, or we are seeing people that we have not seen in a long time. There's still some fear about what is next and what the new normal will be. As I've heard Pastor Jerry say, the church has never had to come out of a pandemic before. So I think it's fair to say that many of us face times of hopelessness during the pandemic and are still trying to find a way out of that. Many of you have asked questions about what the church will be like in the coming months. There are schedule changes coming. There are new ways of doing things. There have been staff changes, building changes, and reimagining what worship, music, and programming might look like for all age groups. So today we are reminded that it's easy to let fear into our lives and forget to embrace the hope, especially the hope that comes with that scary word change. It was far too easy for those first disciples of Jesus to hide away in a locked room instead of embracing even a tiny ounce of hope. We identify with them more than we might like to admit, especially as we move into a time of uncertainty. So the words of Maya Angelou continue to echo in my mind that hope and fear cannot occupy the same space. Invite one to stay. 
So friends, let's dare to hope. Let's trust the new thing that God is doing among each of us and within our church community. And let's invite hope to stay. We worship a God who by the power of the Holy Spirit raised Jesus Christ from death to life. If we can rejoice in that fact, hope should come upon us in waves and will never let us go. So may it be so. Amen. Well, next Sunday starts our series, We're Back. Vaccinations are taking hold and we are seemingly every week. There's somebody new I haven't seen in over 15, 16 months. And it seems like I've heard this phrase over and over again. We're back. So the trick is to get people to keep coming back as we build the momentum for our ministries following this pandemic. So what we decided to do in the month of August is to focus upon some of the key gifts that are part of our ministry that that the pandemic has limited. So next Sunday, we're going to celebrate the gift of community. And to do so, we're going to have an ice cream social. Yeah, I know, ice cream in the morning. Well, you know, I've always said life is short, eat dessert first. So there you go. But we just hope, and we're going to have cookies too, so just take a cookie if you don't want ice cream, and enjoy uh, connecting with one another after the service next Sunday. We'll have that available. Uh, August 8th, we're going to celebrate the gift of song, and so the choir is going to take most of the service, and the band's going to do so in the contemporary service. And uh, we're going to celebrate that, and we even have a donut truck coming out here as well as the services at the church. August 15th, we're going to celebrate the gift of human touch. And we're going to celebrate the pastoral care ministries that have continued to connect people with one another. So you kind of get the idea. So remember the new worship schedules next Sunday. We'll launch our Noblesville Kids Sunday programming. The summer choir will be starting and uh, we'll be making plans uh, for each of those Sundays. So invite a friend, help us build the momentum of our ministries here at Noblesville First. So today we finish our series on the book What's the least I can believe and still be a Christian? A guide to what matters most. And Martin Thielen has helped us, especially in our worship portion of this, to focus on the what are the key truths? What are the things that we really do bank on? And we might debate what those top ones are, but his top seven would include these things. First of all, the life and teachings of Jesus Christ are the heart of Christianity. Everything else can be debated, but Jesus What he shows us in his life and his teachings are central to everything that we do. Relationships with God and others are what matters most. It's not so much about being right. It's about being in good relationship with one another. True three, even with our flaws, God loves each of us as God's child. That's the grace of God that's always there for us, always ready to bring us back no matter what we've done, no matter where we are. We also learned that the Bible tells us that the God's primary way of working in this world is through you and I, through people. We taught that true fulfillment comes through serving others. Last Sunday, we focused on the fact that God does not cause suffering. God does not prevent suffering. But we serve a crucified God who fully enters our human suffering and also works to redeem it. Today... We're focusing on the resurrection and the hope that it provides in life as well as in death. So when I read this morning's passage and studied it this week, 
The thing that stood out to me the most was the fact that the resurrection was complete and total surprise. Sometimes us reading it way after the fact, we forget that. Now, there's no prediction of the resurrection in the Hebrew Scriptures. There are passages that that do talk about the suffering servant, that, that does help remind us of Jesus' suffering on the cross, like Isaiah chapter 53 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. We have passages like that that remind us that suggest that perhaps God had something in mind when Jesus was on the cross, but there's nothing about the resurrection. And even though these gospel accounts were written like 40 to 50 years after the fact, you still capture the sense of the surprise it was for everybody. So let's try to allow ourselves to put ourselves in that mindset of those first century Christians, those followers of Jesus. If you read John chapter 20, the women were going to the tomb with the spices that were necessary for a proper burial. Jesus had been taken off and crucified so quickly and put away in that tomb that they hadn't been able to properly bury him. So they brought those spices. And when they headed there, they were surprised to see the stone already already rolled away. They ran and told the disciples. So Peter and the beloved disciple in that account decides to go see for themselves. They're not going to just trust the word of those women. And when they arrived there, they discovered that the linens that wrapped Jesus were still in place, but the body was gone. And then Mary Magdalene. She happens to be near the tomb in that same account. She's met by the risen Christ, but she's so blinded by her tears and her earthly assumptions that she doesn't recognize him. She assumes he's the gardener, and she asks him, what have you done with my rabbi? All those intimate followers of Jesus came to that tomb expecting death disappointment, and desperation. Instead, God surprised them with life, hope, and presence. So let's hold on to that thought of how God surprises us. So let me ask you a question now. Do you consider yourself a pessimist or an optimist? I won't make you raise your hands, but just think about that. Are you a pessimist or an optimist? Well, There's a story about a man who was approaching a baseball game. It was a little league baseball game. So he didn't know the score. He didn't see a scoreboard anywhere. And he goes up to the dugout and he asks this little boy, so what's the score? The boy responded, 18 to nothing, we're behind. Well, the spectator said, boy, I I bet you're discouraged. And his reply was, why should I be discouraged? We haven't even got up to bat yet. Now, there's your definition of an optimist. Now, we could take a simple test probably and kind of decide where we are, if we're an optimist or a pessimist. My guess is for a lot of us, it just depends on the day. Some days we're a little more optimistic, some days we're a little more pessimistic. But I've come to the conclusion that optimism and hope are not the same thing. They're two different things, at least Christian hope. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs teaches, optimism is the belief that the world is changing for the better. Hope is the belief that together we can make the world better. 
And I think that distinction is so important. It's a lot like happiness and joy. Optimism and happiness are dependent upon the circumstances that surround us. Joy and hope come from within, from our faith, from a confidence that's not grounded in people, but in the power of God. And as Jill shared in her message, hope is something we cannot live without. Eugene Lang died in, 19, in 2017 at the age of 98. And he was a self-made millionaire. But what made him famous, what is most noteworthy about him, if you Google, you'll find this story pop up, was something that happened to him in a spur of a moment in June of 1981. He was asked to speak to a sixth grade class at the school where he attended many years before. And he was facing a little different crowd from the school at the time he was there. There were 59 students, were primarily black and Puerto Rican children. And their future was not promising. The vast majority would likely drop out. So here Eugene Land is wondering, what's he going to say to this group? What, what's he going to do to inspire them? What can he even say to get them to even look at him? And scrapping his notes, he decided to speak from the heart. And with no forethought put into it all, on the spur of the moment, he made an impulsive decision, and he said to them, stay in school, and I will help pay the college tuition of every one of you. Later, he told them he'd earmark $2,000 for each of them toward their college tuition, and he would add more money to it each year that they stayed in school. And in that moment, the lives of those children changed. For the first time, they had hope. One student was quoted, I had something to look forward to, something waiting for me. And nearly 90% of that class went on to graduate from high school. Now, if you explore that story a little bit more in depth, you discover that Eugene Landis didn't stop with that promise. Something grabbed his heart that day, and he realized they needed more than just a promise. So he adopted the class. He treated them to trips and to restaurant meals. He counseled with them through crisis after crisis. He intervened with school officials. He hired a project coordinator who established a year-round program of academic support. Hope changed the lives of the children. But Eugene Land not only gave himself the promise of hope, he also embodied that hope by investing himself and the resources they needed to hang on to that hope. And isn't that what God does for us? We find hope in Jesus' resurrection, that death itself can be overcome. The resurrection proves that evil will never have the final say. God is able to surprise us often in miraculous ways. We also have the promise that someday, in some way, Jesus will return and put evil away for good. That's the message of the book of Revelation. But our hope is not just a future promise. Through the Holy Spirit, we have hope provided to us each and every day. The presence of God within provides hope to face whatever challenges that come our way. And we know that in every good thing we do for the kingdom of heaven, it has eternal value, no matter how small it may appear in the moment. And I don't know about you, but I need a little bit of that hope right now. 
in a world that's been turned upside down by an invisible virus, we need to know that our God has our future secured. And there's lots of evidence of God at work, God continuing to surprise us. I have to admit, when the organ committee came to me with their proposal to renovate the organ, I was pessimistic. Could you tell the look of my face, David Meats, you up there? <laughs> yeah, he knows. But they were hopeful. And now they've raised over half the money in one month after completing just the silent phase of their fundraising efforts. As the resurrection proves, God is full of surprises. When we listen to the news and we see the extreme politics that now seem to be impacting even our community, I tend to be very pessimistic. But can we find common ground in our country? I'm pessimistic, but I'm hopeful that God is calling us to model that healthy dialogue and in some way, some way, God is going to pull some surprises. Who knows what will be accomplished? It's easy to get pessimistic as people are slow to return to the ministries we have resumed. But I'm hopeful that through the creativity God is inspiring, we'll bring back people who need to be here and reach the new people because of the skills we've mastered during the pandemic. So whether we're a pessimistic or optimist person, it doesn't really matter. The important thing is do we live with the hope of Jesus Christ and trust that God will help us find a way, whatever the challenge that comes. Several years ago, in a time that I was feeling a little burned out in ministry, I got invited by our annual conference to be trained as a church consultant. And they brought in Ken and Callahan, who put together a program called 12 Keys to an Effective Church. We trained for one full week each year, and then we had homework in between. And I learned so many things in that very helpful concept. Some of them were just basic business concepts applied to the church situation. But I remember many of the things that I learned were not just church administration tactics, but they were the efforts that help you in your faith as well as in your life. And one of the things that would always come up, and so I heard this mantra over and over. So someone would bring up a situation that seemed like an obstacle, impossible to overcome. And Kenneth Callahan, almost in rabbi-like fashion, would stop and he would say, so what's the faithful way to respond to this particular challenge? Is it everything will work? Is it nothing will work? Or is it something will work? And, of course, the answer for hopeful people is something will work. So don't worry if you're a pessimist or optimist. That'll come and go with the circumstances of life in that moment. But because we're followers of Jesus Christ, who is resurrected from the dead, we can always be a people of hope. Let's pray. Lord, we do draw upon you now. For the hope that we need. As we look at this world that certainly has changed and continues to change, sometimes it's easy to lose our hope in what has brought meaning to our lives. But may we know that meaning rests in you, 
And that hope is not upon our own powers or the circumstances of this world, but they rest. And you are ongoing force that will continue to lead the way in our lives and in our world. Help us to put our trust in that through Christ, who is our Lord. Amen.